great to see all of y'all. If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor. We're glad you're here. If you're online, we're glad you're, you're with us online. You know, whatever, you, whatever works in your relationship with Christ to get you where you need to be, we're, we're thankful for that. And we just appreciate you being here. We're, we're kind of bringing a series to a close today. We're going to start a new series next week throughout August, at least those first four weeks, called Interconnect. We are connected to our family, to our church, to our community, to the world around us. And in those connections, we are interconnected. Now, I'm not going to be bringing a series. The other guys are. In fact, in this, in this service, Joe's going to bring it, and Joe does a fantastic job, and I want to encourage you to be here. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for that. I'm excited that I'm going to take a few weeks to uh, look at 2021. i got a lot of stuff to get ready for. We plan way, way ahead, so we're already looking at everything in 2021 into 2022, so yeah, it's going to be a, a great series. I'm looking forward to it. We're wrapping up today in a series called... The night before, John 13, you know, we've been here now, this will be the eighth week, and we started off in verse 34 and 35 uh, in the series, the night before Jesus died, the night before he was crucified, uh, and we looked at, you know, that there was a new way for us followers, and, and that way was love, and we asked the question, what does love look like? And we've been kind of answering that question, or at least kind of looking at how to answer that question over these last few weeks. So we're going to come back to this passage again. Uh, the title's kind of the same, uh, The New Way for His Followers, again. It's because it's still the way. It hasn't changed. Uh, and we come to that same passage, and, and this is what it says. Uh, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if, if, love one another. And so instead of asking the question, what does love look like, what I want to share with you today as we wrap this series up is this. It is hard to love one another, and churches and Christians fail all the time. It's hard. I wish it was easy to love one another. If it was easy, the church would explode all over the world. We wouldn't have anywhere near the problems we have. This is the truth. It's hard to love people, period, and we fail all the time. Which kind of then brings me to start off by asking this question, then why do we need a new command? I mean, what, what, why do we need a new command? What's wrong with the old command? Well, there isn't an old command. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's old, but there's not really an old command. And so we kind of <clears throat> need to, to understand this. Jesus is hours away before the cross. I mean, he's going to die. He's going to be raised back to life. He's going to spend a few days with the guys on earth, and then he's gone. And then it's just these 11 guys. It's them. It's up to them. And so he's got to leave them with something. He's got, he's got to leave them with something that's going to stick. And so he says, guys, listen to me. Here it is. Here it is. This is it. <clears throat> Three years I've been with you, right? This is it. I'm going to leave you with a new command. It's really simple. Just get this one command straight. It's the only thing you have to do to be successful. Love one another. That's it. It's not complicated. It's just not easy. Now, the word new means fresh. It, mean, it doesn't mean it's new that it's never existed before because obviously love has existed. You know, Deuteronomy 6, you know, love God. You know, Leviticus 19, love one another. I mean, you know, love your enemies, love. And, and so, you know, love is all over the Old Testament. So it's new and kind of in a fresh way, kind of like, you know, when, when a business is struggling, you don't know what to do. So you put up a sign and it says, under new management or new and improved, it's new, it's fresh, it's different somehow. Well, with all that's going on before Christ and people still rebelling against God and can't be saved because of their sin, they need something new. And so what he has to them is something new, and it's a command, which means it's an order, it's a directive, you got to do it. 
And he says, and I'm giving it to you. The fact that Jesus gives has the authority. Now, just a few verses earlier, after Judas had left, and I told you this a couple of weeks ago, Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified. I'm glorified. He's the Son of Man. I'm glorified. And if you remember, to be glorified or glory is the expression of the holiness of God. God is holy. And how do we experience the holiness of God is glory. Jesus is the holiness of God complete. This is how we experience the holy God. In Jesus, Jesus is the final and complete revelation of God to man. So when Jesus gives something, it's coming from God. We can figure this part out on our own. It's authoritative because it's coming from Jesus. We got that. We understand that. So all we got to do is what he tells us. He says, I'm giving it to you. And so for us, gives us a sense of authenticity. If we want to be real followers of Jesus, we do what he tells us. There's a genuineness there. And he, so here's what he does. So that, or for the purpose of this, that you love one another, that you might love one another. Now it brings us to the word love. We looked at the word love a few weeks back, you know, very beginning, I should say, seven weeks ago. The word agape. And one of the things that I share with you is that this word agape, the New Testament word that's used, is rarely ever used outside of the New Testament. You just, in classical Greek and other things, you're just not going to find it. Its meaning, its depth, its richness comes from the New Testament. So just Jesus alone tells us what agape means in the Gospel of John. In John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he so agape the world, that he gave his one and only son. Love means God giving up a son. Now, you know, for, for a father, for a parent, the children are sacred. You never give them up. That's what God did. I remember as a, as a young person growing up, even as a young pastor, you know, you hear some of the old-time guys say, tell the story of the man who's, there was a story of this man, there's a train coming, and his kid was missing in the gears of the drawbridge where he worked, and somehow he kid got stuck there, but the train was coming, and with all the people, and he had to save the train, and so he lifted, you know, put the drawbridge down and sacrificed his son, and blah, blah, blah. Garbage. I'm telling you this. If I have to sacrifice my child so that all of you can live, you better prepare to meet God. Because <laughs> ain't a one of you I love, except my wife, but even then I wouldn't do it because I don't have to live with her giving me a hard time about it. There's nobody I'd sacrifice my child for. It ain't going to happen. Don't let anyone ever kid you. This is a love so rare, God does this. And then in John 15, 13, which we're going to see Friday night at the deep fry if you're here or if you're watching online, Jesus says, no greater love does a man have than this, than to give his life for his friends. So the greatest expression of love is when I give my life to you. So he tells us what love is. It's the giving of that which is most important. It's the giving of yourself. It's putting the other person first so you sacrifice ultimately what is yours, life itself. He says you will love one another. One another is a reciprocal pronoun. It means the love goes back and forth. It just bounces back and forth. When, when I was a kid, we had Pong. Before there was all these fancy PlayStations and all you got, there was something called Pong. And all Pong was, you hooked it up to the TV, and it was like playing ping pong. There was a little bar over here you moved up and down, a bar up here you moved down with a little dot that went back and forth. And the goal was to get that so perfect that the ball just went back and forth back and forth in perpetuity so it never went anywhere else. That's reciprocating. That's what love is. Just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. There was just these guys 
but he was going to bring more people in. And when you bring more people in, there's more love. There's more love. And Jesus said, I love you, so you love one another. And he said, this is how the world will know. You're mine. You love one another. It's unbelievable. That idea of loving one another, then for the world, is going to know it's like, this is the logo. You know, this is the mark. This is identification. If you ever belong to a club, you know, organizations, you know, you got colors or flags, whatever. Like if you belong to the Lions Club or you belong to the Optimist or the Pessimist, whatever club you belong to, you've got the colors, the logo. You know, if you're, if you're a New Mexico State Aggie, you know, you've got, you've got the colors, the logo. If you wear a blue shirt with a lion on it or a blue shirt with a bear on it, you're, you're, you're not, I know you're not an Aggie because there's a certain look. This is the look of followers of Jesus. We love one another. So why do we need a new command? Because all the old stuff hadn't worked. And something new is about to begin. And the one way, the one characteristic that identifies the newness is love. It's love. One of the beautiful things about God there's so many, obviously, is that he reveals himself to us. God, God reveals himself to us. We've talked about that. Progressive revelation, he shows us who he is. The ultimate revelation of God is Jesus. The ultimate way that God reveals himself to us is Jesus. You want to know God, you know Jesus. And so here's Jesus telling us what this command is. You know, if you go back into the Old Testament, there, there are places where God commands. And, and you have what's called the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, after, after God had taken his people out of Egypt, there's Moses. And, 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 and God gave the law. He says, you're my people, and I'm your God. And this is how everyone will know my people. Here's Ten Commandments. You follow these Ten Commandments. Now, the, you didn't follow the commandments so you could be gods. You followed the commandments because you already were God. And it was given to Israel about 3,500 years ago. It was theirs. It wasn't given to anyone else, just them. It wasn't given to the Moabites. It wasn't given, you know, to the Philistines. It wasn't given to the Babylonians. just Israel. And this is how people know you're mine. And then Jesus comes along. And four years ago, I preached a sermon series called 10 on the Ten Commandments. And one of the things I shared with you, that the Ten Commandments were not given to us. They're not. They were given to Israel 3,500 years ago. not given to us. But the thing about Jesus is the Ten Commandments points to Jesus. Remember, I tell you all the time, the Old Testament points to Jesus. The Old Testament looks to the New. Everything points to Jesus. And so in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus comes and he says, I didn't come to do away with the law, the Ten Commandments, or all the prophets. I came to fulfill them. I'm fulfilling everything about the Ten is fulfilled in Jesus. Why do I keep the Ten Commandments? Because Jesus fulfills them and I'm his follower. And here's the thing. I don't even actually keep ten. I just keep nine. We all break. Every one of you is breaking one commandment right now. You're breaking the fourth commandment, which says, that you worship on the Sabbath. Only we don't worship on the Sabbath, which is sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, worship on Sunday or any of that we want. And I know what we do, we justify it by saying, well, you know, when Jesus came, the, you know, the Easter, the day of worship changed. And I get all that. It doesn't change the commandments. Here's an interesting tidbit. <clears throat> None of the commandments have loopholes, ever. Read the Old Testament. Read the New Testament. No loopholes. The fourth commandment is only fulfilled when you worship on the Sabbath. If you keep all ten. Well, we don't keep the ten. Am I wrong? I mean, are you telling me something? That's you and not God, right? Just clarify. Is that the intern back there? 
Is he intern is Ducky? Brian, that's your intern. So anyways, I'm sure it's okay. We're just going to make fun of him. He'll, we're not going to mention it Tuesday at staff meeting at all. So, so here's the, Jesus came. And so here's what Jesus, he took Ten Commandments. And a few days before John 13, he narrowed it down to two. He said, here, love God, love other people. Like, all right. And here's the thing. You know how I keep the Ten Commandments? I love God, I love other people, and I keep it. And then Jesus did this amazing thing. He took those two. And when he got with the eleven, he said, let me just tell you, the ten was two, and now the two is just one. Just one little commandment. Love one another. That's all you got to do. Just love one another. Hey, what about loving God? You're my followers. Because you follow me, because you've given your life to me, you automatically love God. We got it covered. Just love one another. And here's this crazy thing. We live, we live in this world today, and here we Christians. You know what we Christians try to do? We try to convince everyone that the problem with our country is we don't keep Ten Commandments, nine of which we keep. We don't even keep one of them. We just make it up. And we're trying to tell lost people they got to keep Ten Commandments from 350 years ago, given to Israel. We can't keep one given by Jesus to us to follow forever. Is any wonder the world looks at us like we're crazy? One commandment. That's what it boils down to. Loving one another. We want to see the world change. We want to see the country change. Christians, quit trying to convince the lost to keep ten. Start keeping one. Period. And I want to tell you, it's just there. And when you read the New Testament, here's this amazing thing. If you'll just sit down and read the New Testament, you should read the New Testament every year. Sit down and read it. And the love of these men is poured out on the pages of those letters and books. John writes a whole book, 1 John, that just is a commentary on love one another. It's just what it is. And probably no one really talks about love and just writes from the heart of love more than Paul. And that can be crazy because we don't, we don't think of Paul. You know, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13 about love and all that, but we don't really think of Paul. We think of Paul as being this harsh, difficult guy. So here, let me, let me share this with you. This is, this is just a crazy illustration that most people don't even get. Most people don't even realize that what I'm about to share with you is an example of love. While he was in prison in about 61, 62 AD in Rome, Paul wrote a book, wrote seven, but he wrote the book of Ephesians. The church at Ephesus, Paul had started a few years earlier, and Ephesus was, it was the most important Roman city east of Europe. When you get into Asia Minor, you know, Turkey, and, and on, it was the city that opened up the, the gateway to all the trade is Ephesus. And Ephesus was this corrupt city. It was godless. It was pagan. They worshipped Artemis, the, the goddess Artemis, Diana. Uh, oh, a fertility goddess. I mean, so they practiced all sorts of immoral sexual stuff. And there was magic. And, and, and there was just the occult. And it was horrible. Here's this little church. Little bitty church just trying to be the light in the midst of darkness. And so Paul, and they're struggling. And Paul writes this letter. And in chapter 5, of course, he didn't have chapters back then, but he just writes, you got to live as light and darkness. You guys got to live as light and darkness. And then he says in verse 21, and here's what you do. Here's the example of love. You church people, you submit to one another. Submit to one another. Be subject. That's love. That's love in action. And then if he just stopped there, nobody would care. But then Paul has to go on and start talking to wives. 
in Ephesians 5.22, we read, wives, submit to your husbands. In the 21st century America, we just throw that out. Actually, he never say wives, submit to your husbands. He says wives, likewise, to your husbands. He borrows it from verse 21. Understand this. Paul is writing to a group of Christian people in a pagan world. In that day and age, he's going to write to women, children, and slaves, none of which had any rights. And Christianity comes, and, and women and children and slaves could come to Jesus and be saved and be freed, and life was different. And so he's going to do what's common. He's going to write a kind of a law code or, or code for the family, which everybody did all the time back then. But what's not common is he's going to include the husband, the father, and, and, and the master. So he says, wives, be submissive to your husband. Well, no big deal. They all knew that. Everywhere in that culture in Ephesus and throughout the world, wives had to submit to their husbands. They didn't have a choice because the husbands could beat them into submission, and there was nothing they could do about it. And the husband, if they didn't like them, could kick them to the curb, and they couldn't do anything about it. But then Paul does this amazing thing. He says, and you husbands, love your wives. And they're like, what? You can't tell me to love my wife. No one tells me to love my wife. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Oh. And died for the church. Oh. That's different. And then he says, children, obey your parents. Yes. Parents, some of you need to teach that to your children because your children don't obey you. 20 years ago, if parents would have taught their kids to obey, we wouldn't be in this mess we're in today. And then he said this, and you fathers, don't frustrate your kids. What? What are you telling me, Paul? I can, I can slap my kid. I can put my kid to death. I can sell my kid to slavery. And Paul says, do not frustrate your children, fathers. He's not talking to mamas. He's not saying parents. We always read that. Parents. No, 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 no. You dads, don't you do that. And then he does this thing, and it's amazing. He says, slaves, I can't help you. It's the world you live in. In Rome, half the people were slaves in the city of Rome. In Ephesus, it was huge, too. He said, but you need to submit. The best thing for you to do, just submit to your owner like you're submitting to Jesus. All right. And then he said this, masters, (laughs) likewise to your slaves. Likewise what? Submit to your slaves. Because God doesn't give a rip about who you are. There is no partiality with God. And Paul told a guy who'd be like me, a husband, a father, slave owner, back in that day, you better love and submit to those in your home because this is what Christ expects of you. And people flooded to Christianity. Because in a culture where there was no love, these men said, you love one another. Loving people dominates the New Testament. It dominates it. Not theology. We always talk about theology, and there's a ton of theology, and I get it, and I understand that. I got degrees in theology, so I got it. It is love that dominates the New Testament. You want to find out about an outreach organization? There's no outreach organization in the New Testament. It's not there. There's not a spiritual gifts test in the New Testament. 
There's not even Sunday school in the New Testament. Sunday school didn't come around until 1780 with Robert Rakes. I don't know how people learned the Bible before Sunday school came into existence in 1780. The only outreach strategy, really the mission strategy, has to say, is Jesus said, go make disciples. Okay, that's it. But in the New Testament, there is a constant expression and expectation for love. Read the New Testament. Put your opinions away. Quit watching preachers on TV, other than me. <laughs> Put all that up. And read the New Testament. Because here's the thing. At some point, we have to do things Jesus' way. At some point, we got to do things His way. I'm a Southern Baptist all my life. Before I was born, I was a Southern Baptist. That's all I know. Been a preacher in some capacity, a minister for 40 years, come September. So I, I just know Southern Baptist life. 80% of all Southern Baptist churches, and, and, and by the way, evangelical Southern Baptists were the groups that grow. Because evangelical Southern Baptists, all these numbers will be the same. You know, all the Bible churches, non-denom, it's all the same. 80% of them are dead or plateaued. Only 20% of those churches grow. Now, it's, it's forget all the mainline denominations. You can't even think about them. Just the ones that are growing, only 20% grow. If you're plateaued, you're on the first step to dying. Why? Is our theology bad? No, our theology's not bad. Um, you know, it's almost 48,000 Southern Baptist churches. A couple of them, sure, maybe, but no. Do we not love Jesus? Of course we not. I've never met a Southern Baptist who didn't love Jesus. What about preaching? Oh, man, you kidding? Growing up, when I was a young pastor, we go to conferences all the time. Every conference and convention, somebody would preach. And here's what, or several, and here's what they do. They take the Bible, and they hold the Bible up. And they say, it's the inerrant word of God. I know it's the inerrant word of God. It's, you know, it's infallible. I know it's infallible. I got it. You know, it's inspired. I know it's inspired. Preach it. All right, we got it. And everybody stand up and say, amen, and we leave. And I'm like, you didn't tell me anything new. I know all that. Tell me something that will help me. Baptist churches preach the word of God. Why aren't they growing? It's simple. There's only one explanation. Churches don't reach people because it's evident to people that we don't love them. There's nothing left. It's not our theology. It's not our preaching. It's not that we don't love Jesus. What's left? Oh, this thing Jesus said called love one another. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the secret to all of it. You just don't love people the way we should. 1985, Debbie and I were 24, and we went to Mineral Springs Baptist Church, where I became the pastor. Mineral Springs is halfway between Lockhart and Luling, which is the best barbecue in all the world right there. You like Mad Jack's? Mad Jack is from Lockhart. It's where he gets his stuff. That's great. And I'd been for five years at two different churches, and I'd grown up at a pretty good-sized church. He's in church. And I left the church at Edinburgh where I was youth minister, and I came to Middle Springs in the middle of nowhere, and they ran about 25 people. That's all they'd run for about 30 years. But by golly, I was there now, and it was going to change because I knew what I was doing because I was 24. I was going to seminary, had five years' experience, and I was smarter than most people. And we, had, we did things that had never been done, been done in years. We had a vacation Bible school for the first time in several years, baptized some people for the first time in several years, two kids. 
But, you know, we were still running 25, 30. And they, was old. they were old. They were young, old. They were old, old. You know, it was just old. And about eight months into it, a family shows up at our church. I mean, it's pumped. There's a dad, a wife, kids. It's exciting. Family showed up. And after church that night, I went to one of the older deacons, the younger older deacon. I don't know how that worked. They're all old. I said, let's go visit that family. He said, no, we're not going to do that. I said, why? So they don't belong here. They don't fit in here. So what do you mean? He said, there's churches for them. I said, I don't get what you're talking about. They're Hispanic. So I'm from South Texas. What difference does it make? We got a lot of people. Not going to reach them. At that moment, I, went, I knew when I went to Debbie, he said, we're done. And a few months later, I was back to my home church as associate pastor. Because there's nothing I could do. There's not a thing this 20, about time 25-year-old preacher boy could do. To help that church. And they stayed that way for like, kept on for decades, running 25 or 30. Two years ago, we were driving that way. We cut by that church. We do it once in a while. And we saw that church, and there was this big building out there by that church. And like, wow, look at that big building. And I couldn't believe that church had a big building. We got out. And here's what we found out that church was running like 125, 130 people. They had started a couple of years earlier, just growing. And so there was a couple of guys there about my age. We were talking. Turns out, an interesting thing happened. People died off few younger folks came, and they started looking at people in the community differently, and they started loving people. Theology didn't change. They didn't love Jesus anymore. I don't know that the preaching got it much better than earlier. I don't know. But they started loving people. That's, all, that's the only difference. Loving one another is always the starting point. It's always you got to love people. When y'all brought me here five years ago, I said, relocation, got to do that, sure. But you got to change your culture. At some point, you got to realize that the culture you're in is not working. It's not reaching people. It's great for you. You may love, you love people in the church. It's not reaching folks. And it's, it's, it's common. Churches have a generational life of about 30 years. And then if you don't make changes, you're going to die. Now, there's three things that never change. In a church, the Messiah never changes. It's Jesus. The mission never changes, it's reaching people. And, and the message never changes, it's the gospel. But two things always change. Your methods change, and your ministries change. And most churches don't like doing that, because to change those things makes them uncomfortable. But you've got to reach people. If you love people, you're going to make changes to reach them. You don't embrace the culture, but you do engage it. You don't compromise to a culture. But you do connect. And if you're not willing to connect to a world and, 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 and to go and engage them, you'll never reach them. And it's not, you know, I hear people say, oh, you guys are selling out. No. Listen, just because your church has decided not to love people, don't blame my church for loving people and changing our culture so that we reach them. We didn't sell out to anything. We're just trying to do what Jesus told us to do. 25 years ago, I was at First Laredo, and, and everybody in Texas pretty much knew the one church in all of New Mexico that did something that was really growing. It was in Albuquerque, probably running 2,500 people, 3,000 3, people, something like that. Now, 25 years later, they're running probably less than 500 and struggling. Now, you know, they just didn't change. Stayed the same. There is a church in Albuquerque that's really large. Sagebrush runs 12,000 people every Sunday. Before COVID, 12,000 people. 330 churches in the state of Baptist churches in the state of New Mexico, they baptize almost half of all the baptisms that come from there. There's two other churches 
the second and third largest churches are in Las Cruces. It's us in real life. And these three churches have one thing in common. We don't do church the way they did it 25 years ago. We just don't. Because we understand. You're not going to be able to help people come to Christ if you keep doing things the way you did to reach the other folks like us. If you want to reach people who are different, you've got to do things that are different. You've got to love them. And love means sacrifice. It's not about you. So we asked a question seven weeks ago when we began, what does love look like? So here it is. Love looks like putting other people first. Like Jesus did on the cross. That's it. That's what love looks like. Putting everyone else first. Just like Jesus did on the cross. At the end of the second century, they were trying to destroy Christianity and wipe it off the face of the earth. And they persecuted it unmercifully. And Christianity grew and it grew and it grew. And they couldn't figure out why. At the end of the second century, Tertullian was writing and he was quoting another pagan about why the church of Christ, the Christians, kept growing. And he said this, behold how they love one another. Jesus gave us one command. That's all. It's hard to love other people. It's what we must do. So what does love look like in your life? Who do you love? And do you show them that love like Jesus wants you to? Who is it you need to love that you don't love right now? That could change life for them if you love them. And how are you going to show them that you love them? Because that's what has to happen. And love is hard. But it's what we're called to do. It's what we're commanded to do by Christ. Now, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, it's always where you begin. And so as our invitation is about to happen, we invite you to come forward. If you've never trusted Christ to be Savior, give your life to him. If you're online, you know, there's a way to do that online. Text respond to the number that shows up. But if you're a follower of Jesus, what does love look like? And maybe today you need to say, love doesn't look like I, how I've been living. Love doesn't look like me at all. And I don't look like love. And maybe you want to come today and ask the Lord to help you learn to love. To love one another. Because love is hard. But that's what we're commanded to do. Lord, we praise you and we thank you that we can gather together. And I know that I fail you and we all fail you a lot. And God, there's a lot of things we may do wrong in a lot of ways that we may mess up, but I ask in the name of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, let us do one thing right. If we can do but one thing right, Father, let us love one another. Because if we will just love one another, we will honor you and glorify you. And we will see people come to a saving relationship with Jesus. So now in the moments of this, our time of invitation. Let us, Father, give ourselves completely to loving, loving you, but obeying your command to love one another. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand? We'll be here at the front. You may come.